Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. There's a sacredness to gathering in the name of Jesus. At the goal and the aim of not simply checking off going to church, I pray that you would open your heart to hear from Jesus today. So let's exhale. All the automatic, ruminating thoughts and concerns weighing on you this year. And bring it to the feet in the house of the Lord. And inhale the presence of God and His promise that we supplicate our anxieties that he would give us peace. Jesus listens, Sarah Young. Gentle Jesus, you've been teaching us that there is no randomness about my life. Here and now, compromise and coordinates of my daily life. The present moment is not only the point at which time intersects eternity, it is the place where I encounter you, my eternal savior, every moment of every day is alive with your glorious presence. Help me to keep my thoughts focused on you, enjoying your presence here and now. All God's people pray, amen. A few years ago, my family and I were in Nevada for a special Mother's Day weekend. This was during the pandemic. Um, and it was a scorchingly hot day, and my whole family was at the pool at an Airbnb cooling off, enjoying the day, and I hopped out of the pool, got my phone, tapped on CNBC, I wanted to see how the market was doing, uh, and I touched my iPhone, and it was non-responsive. It was just black, black screen, and... You know, just like, okay, maybe it's dead or out of battery. So I went out of the pool, tried to do a hard reset, um, soft reset first, and nothing, black screen. Hard reset, got the charger, went on the computer, black screen, nothing. So here, put this picture up. So I found myself in Nevada at a Genius Bar, and... I come back from my appointment, it's, it's like an hour roaming the mall, and you know, I, I asked the guy, the genius, of course they're Apple genius, uh, so is there anything you can do? And the genius replies, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but your phone is dead. I said, well, how about a soft reset? Hard reset? He was like, dead. And I don't want to keep beating that dead horse, put this picture up here, but continue to ask, is there anything else that you can think of that, you, that, that can be done? And he goes, well, I can help you find a new phone. And that's what I did. I found a new phone. But uh, this is exactly the picture and the story we find ourselves in Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, like me, they kept beating that dead horse. But I can relate, and we all can relate. When someone says something is dead, even spiritual death, 
There's something about the finality of death that somehow offends us. Tell someone next to you, that's offensive. When you go to surgery, someone you love is at the operating table and the surgeon comes out and, you know, they're not happy. They have a, you know, stoic face. And they said, there's nothing that could be done. I'm sorry. There's a, a violence where we become livid because it's not something we want to accept. There's something about when someone says to you, you are completely and morally bankrupt. Tell someone you're bankrupt. <laughs> we used to say in the beginning of 180, you're, you're effed up. That's why you need Jesus. But when someone says you're completely and morally bankrupt, there is no hope for recovery. You can't be good without God. You're morally bankrupt. You cannot change yourselves. There's something about in the human condition, the flesh, that rises up and says, I don't think that's true. I'm not hopeless. That's what Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus. What part of dead, D-E-A-D, don't you understand, Paul says? And he says it in many different ways. The Puritans used to call this doctrine total depravity. Tell someone next to you, total depravity. Tell them you're, you're, you're basically an animal. You're, you're a beast. Total depravity. And Paul says... How final is my moral bankruptcy? How bankrupt am I? How final is it? Well, it's final like Tom Brady's divorce. Giselle is singing. She has a song on repeat. We're never, ever, ever getting back together. From Taylor Swift. It's final. And... There's a part of the foundation of gospel renewal in the church. A lot of people misunderstand what the gospel is because here in this letter, Paul is giving two ways people understand the gospel. You can first understand the gospel as good advice, as something to do to make my life better, a philosophical uh, imperative or values to be received and it makes my life a bit better it adds to my life it's good advice so you can take a christianity as advice the golden rule good to people and a lot of people who come to church can accept the gospel as good news that way it's good news to be around good people with good values a lot of families come to church for those reasons i want my kids to grow up with morals and values. But Paul contrasts that idea of a Christianity as good values to Christianity or the gospel as salvation. The gospel as salvation is completely different than the gospel as good advice or good values. It's a morally different, completely differentiated idea to receive the gospel as good news, not a good advice, because it's something happening or done for you. Only when you come to the end of yourself, tell someone, when you come to the end of yourself, that's when you find yourself not wanting salvation, because that's an option. Well, I, I'll take it. When you come to the end of yourself, you find yourself desperate for salvation because you need it. The gospel is not something I add to my life. The gospel saves my life. It's a completely different vision of the gospel. And that's really the tension that those two competing values are at the heart of the problem at this church. Because the former will create lifelong churchgoers. 
They'll come to church and they'll sit and they'll serve. The latter creates lovesick worshipers. When you're saved, not just your life is just a bit better. When you're saved, you cry and you don't even know why. Sometimes I'm crying. I don't. Well, Paul cries. We know why. He's in Japan right now. But sometimes he doesn't even know why because there is such a exuberance of joy that you've been graced. It just bubbles up inside of you. You cry and you don't even know why sometimes. That's salvation. And that's why Christianity is the only religion that it's peculiar to other religions. We're the only religion where we sit and rise and sit and sing and then talk about Jesus, then sing about Jesus, then talk about Jesus, and then we reflect on Jesus. And the response of that rising and falling, in a sense, the, the, it's a rhythm of grace. It's because of what he's done for us. And that cannot be artificially produced. It's not his teaching. It's not his ideas. It's him that has done something that we could not have done. And that's really at the heart of this passage. So today, what I want to do is look at this letter and, and show us where grace really begins to really understand the gospel. There are two prerequisites. And my fear is, as people come into our community, if you really understand the gospel or not, and for those of us who understand it who forgot it, so that our, our love doesn't grow cold. So what is the gospel? What is the foundation for gospel renewal? When does the power of God really come and begin to work in the heart? So let's go to this passage. And so we talked about this. The church of Ephesus, this community kept beating that dead horse, grappling with that idea of moral bankruptcy, being totally depraved, a beast. It's not that you can't do any good, there's no use because you're dead. Once you're dead, you are unable. You don't have the capacity to choose what God wants. And so the first thing here when we look at this passage, it says, as, verse 1, read it with me, as you were what? Read that again. You were what? It's not a participle. It's not dying. It's past tense. As for you, you were dead. D-E-A-D, -E dead. Dead, you can't move. Dead. Dead, there's nothing more that could be done, dead. Dead. In your transgressions and sins. Moral bankruptcy. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of of the year. So not only were you dead, you were dominated and in captivity to the spirit at work, a demonic power had dominion over you. So even if you wanted to choose a direction that's better or direction of righteousness and faithfulness to God, you couldn't because the enemy had dominion. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4. What does verse 4 say? Everybody say it. One, two, three. Not because. You forgot but. But. So the condition of dead. But, that's the good news, right? But first, 
before we get to the but, 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 you have to accept the bad news. You can't get to but because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, the new life with Christ, even when, again, we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Amen? By grace you've been saved. So what's so offensive about grace? Well, they knew they weren't perfect, and some of you might say, well, I'm not perfect, but I don't think I'm hopeless. Hearing that they were beyond loss was offensive, and it, it is offensive to the human ego. I mean, they were saying, well, didn't I have my own agency to choose Christ? I chose to come to church. Shouldn't that count for something? People make fun of me a lot, especially in my house. I have a contrarian type of life. I'm really good, really, really good at some things, but really, really bad at other things. Can you guys relate? And one of them is directions. People don't believe I could make it somewhere if they don't send me someone else that knows a bit of it. And this story is the whopper of losing your way. And it's not in the road, it's in a buffet. Put, put this picture up here. And, and, to my, and to my defense, all the chairs, all the seating in a buffet look exactly alike. I mean, am I right or am I right? Right? I mean, you could find yourself in a wrong, wrong booth, eating someone else's food. <laughs> but here's the problem. I'm also very, very, very particular about what I think I know. Again, because I'm really, really good at some things. I think anyway. So when I think I'm right, I won't move my position. I'll never move my position of Michael being better than LeBron. I don't care what he did. You can't lose more finals and win. Okay, let me not go in there. All right. So at the buffet, we're eating, and I find myself drinking my Diet Coke and eating my food because I brought it from the line. And a lady says, excuse me, you're in my seat. Why are you drinking my soda? And I'm livid now. Because clearly she's wrong. Clearly this woman is having a bad day and trying to take it out of me. I said, look, lady, this is a Diet Coke. Like, I'm the only one that drinks a Diet Coke at a buffet. The paradoxes work everywhere. I go, lady, this is my Diet Coke and this is my, I mean, Look at the, they're all the same. You look at, you must be confused. She got the manager at this point now coming down. And then I look to my left, I see a purse. And then I, I look closely to the Diet Coke on the straw and there's lipstick. <laughs> so I find myself in a situation where I want to die because I'm dead. I get up quickly and say, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. The Puritans used to say that God only allows us to see 1% of our sin, or we would die. And this was just at a buffet, and I wanted to die. Because it's not like I said, oh, I'm so sorry, took a look around, was humble about it. I was fighting because I thought she was wrong and I was right. I really believed it. It shook my confidence that day. But it tells you about how unaware we are, about sometimes about our lives, sometimes how right we think we are and how wrong we really are. And we don't even know. 
how much you might be hurting other people because of our stubbornness, blindness, or what Paul is saying, because you're dead. Your moral compass is dead. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, there is nothing to save, even in your consciousness. A resurrection power has to be ta- has taken place in the heart and in the mind for us to function in a way to see reality because we're so dissociated, even from reality at times because of our pride. And you know what the kicker is? I could have made an excuse like if it was dinner, but it was lunch. I'd be like, I drank a lot last night. And I did this sober. Like some of you, like look, go down right here. I mean, I, you could be drunk in The Good Doctor, the Korean version. The first episode is about a doctor, a surgeon that drinks a little too much and finds herself in the wrong apartment. And she first says to the good doctor, why are you in my apartment? And she starts screaming until she realizes it's his apartment. I can't even say I was drunk. Sometimes, folks, I want you to think about this. We're a little bit too confident in our own morality. And you only, we only see 1% of our sin, 1% of our flaws. And the crazy thing is, a lot of times we're sober doing it. Until you see how wrong you could be in the moral compass being morally bankrupt, you cannot accept salvation. You don't want salvation. Who wants charity? I don't want your charity, God. I could do it on my own. It's only when you come to the end of yourself you find yourself wanting and needing grace. That's when grace begins, when you come to the end of yourself. So what is the foundation of gospel renewal? When does gospel renewal take place? First lesson we learn is what? When you what? When you accept the bad news. Tell someone, accept the bad news. Accept the bad news. Yes, it's offensive. Yes, it sucks. I never like surrendering. I never like admitting I'm wrong. I never like apologizing because I like the feeling of feeling right. And I'm, when I'm right, I gloat. Danny knows. He knows I'm right 99.9% of the time. And he's wrong that enough. <laughs> but you see, this is sinful nature right here. Augustine is correct. The doctrine of origin, we, we, uh, the origin of sin, we, we have it in us. If you don't accept the bad news about being bankrupt morally, there is no way the cross makes sense. There is no way Jesus dying on the cross, his blood shed for you, matters at all. You just take the teachings of Jesus and you divorce the death of Jesus because who cares if he dies? I don't need grace. I'll make my own way morally. And so you're going to have churchgoers forever being in a good community, being part of a good church, doing good things, but never saved. Because you've never come to that point when you come to the end of yourself. And no one even talked about it because, yeah, you fit in. I remember uh, a a man who said, you know, I think I want to be part of the church. I said, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I'm going to start tithing. Well, that's, that's really great, because I know how much he made. I was like, I think that's great. And he made a lot of money. And But he goes, but I'm not a Christian. So what do you mean? Well, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe he died for me on the cross. Well, then, and then I had to check my conscience. But then you don't need to tithe. He goes, are you sure? <laughs> no. Because I have to differentiate for him that joining the church is not being part of the YMCA. It's a sinner saved by grace, not members who tithe, even though it's tempted by it for a second. 
And you could do this for 30 years and 40 years, and many people do, and they never, ever become born again or experience the grace that brings tears and make you lovesick. You're not a church goer, you're a worshiper. There's nothing you won't do. There's nothing you can't do. You'll commute two hours. You'll bring your babies on your backpack. You'll do anything to come for the grace of God because He's changed your life. You're a worshiper. But until you accept the bad news, verse 4 doesn't come into play, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy gave us new life. So how do you receive this grace? You can't tithe and get it. I wish you could. It's not good works. It's not charity. It's not volunteering. How do you receive this grace? Let's look at the passage here. And Paul says, beating this, that dead horse again, for it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves. It is what? A gift of God. Not by works, so that no one could boast. That's why you have church abuses and church scandals and religious people who are prideful and arrogant in the church. And you'll find most of them, excuse my offense, you'll, you'll find really annoying bastards in the church because they don't know the Father. The Heavenly Father is not their Father. They're just a religious zealot. They think, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I give to the church. I volunteer at the church. I am a good person. The church needs me. And that's where piety is born from. And those are the people that breed religiosity. They don't understand grace. They think that it's by works, being good. They haven't been saved. The gospel was just good advice. It wasn't good news. It's not what God has done. It's what they're doing that they're counting. So the definition of grace is what? Something unearned, undeserved. By very definition, it's a gift So what's so amazing about grace? How do you know it's amazing? Well, grace itself is not amazing. It's the one dispensing it that's amazing. The one giving. You're supposed to see the heart of the giver. It's not the gift. It's the giver. They're amazing. They're beautiful. And that's why we love Jesus in the end of the day. It's Him dying on the cross for us. It's Him saving us. And when you look at the cross and you realize you're, you're morally bankrupt, you won't be casting stones like the crowd. You'll fall on your knees because you'll realize that out of the billions of people on this planet, He's dying for you. Not because you're amazing or special, but because He is. He's amazing. A lot of people don't know this story, but when I was about seven, six and seven in, at Seoul, uh, my family, we went to the pool. Let's put this picture up here. And uh, the headline for that day almost was, a little kid dies in the pool. Because, you know, I'm one of those sort of brazen type of folk, right? Like, I'm not really scared of much of anything. You know, we did rock climbing. I was the first one to rappel down the mountain. And they told me that I was the, I was the first leader out of a thousand that jumped rappelling down the mountain. Everybody was scared. And the, and the mentor said, the point of this exercise is to learn that leadership is hard and you're supposed to be afraid to go down. I said, oh, I totally missed a lesson. I thought it was fun to rappel down the mountain. 
right? So, I mean, and, and when people talk about like drinking, binge drinking, I mean, come on, when we were seven in Seoul, when things were unregulated, dude, we used to drink soju all the time. Bakali soju, we would cook ojingo at the park. And people, when they're 15, 16, talk about smoking and drinking, I'm like, been there, done that, bro. Get over it. So I'm, I'm a brazen kid, so I see the pool, and I'm not afraid of the water, so I just jump in. I've never been, that's the first trauma of my life. I go in the water, it's 10 feet deep. I could not be more than three feet tall. So I'm drowning, I don't know how to swim, but I'm brazen, so I jump. And I, I wave for help. I jumped at least five times. I had one more, like I knew, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like I'm gonna die. That's your goate. Why is that funny, honey? <laughs> She's like, oh, I thought I was gonna. <laughs> Thank you. I know you love me. It's trauma. It's trauma. Um, and so I jumped one more time with an ounce of my strength. Nothing. And I just sank. And then suddenly I saw a hand come down the water by the neck <laughs> and scoop me up. And when I got out of the water, I don't know who, I don't even remember the gender, I don't remember who it was, but I remember exulting in that person because I was good as dead but that arm saved me from death and gave me new life. Salvation is not what you and I do. You can never do enough to save yourself. Salvation begins with what Christ has already done. It's not a list of things that you must do. It's already been done for you. So how do you receive salvation? And it's so simple. It must be received. Tell someone next to you, it has to be received. You haven't been saved if you didn't receive it. You said, Jesus, I take your forgiveness. Even though I don't deserve it, I haven't earned it, I receive the gift of your death on the cross for me. My, my brokenness, my bankruptcy, my offenses, all the things that I lied about, all the things that I argued about, been stubborn in, hurt others, you 2,000 years ago, retrospectively, died for me and I receive it. Because I don't deserve to be forgiven, but the cross paid the sins for me. It's simple as that. That's why Jesus says in the New Testament that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a little child. Because only children receive it. They receive it freely, happily. Only adults who are stubborn and prideful resist grace. So when does gospel renewal begin? Second lesson we learn. When we what? Embrace first the bad news, then embrace the good news. It's a gift that you receive. You have to open it. Receive it freely. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. When you receive the good news, you go from a churchgoer or even a seeker to a worshiper. 
You begin to lift your hands when people sing about the gratitude and gratefulness of what God has done. Tell someone next to you what God has done. Not what you have to do. You're not thankful for what you have to do or what you can do. You're thankful and you're amazed and you're transformed by what already has been done for you. And all you have to do is receive it as a child would, a gift. That's when grace becomes amazing. And Jesus becomes amazing. And that's when you fall in love with Jesus and you become a worshiper. And then you get it. Oh, that's why we're standing in Sydney. That's why we're meeting during the week to talk about him, what he's doing. That's why I'm telling others about him. Not what I have done, but what he has done in my life. What he is doing in my life. And that's when you don't even know. Just start crying. This pulpit is crying a lot these days. But the love of God becomes real. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's all stand. Today, I want to really aim why the Galion Greek gospel, the good news, is a declaration. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's a declaration of what Christ has done already. And my faith is in that news. That's what saves. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So will you lift your hands with me today for the believer... Will you reflect again on the glorious grace? If you're feeling guilty and burdened by shame, remember, you were already morally bankrupt. You came alive through the power and love of Christ. Clinging to Him is all you've got to do. For those of us that never received the gift, and you're a churchgoer or whatever, and you want to do that today, I'm not going to say, hey, come down the altar. Because I don't think that works. But you can, in your heart today, receive the gift and say, God, that's so true. I try to be good, but I'm not. I come to the end of myself today. I want to receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of your love, and the gift of the cross. And talk to your friends and your small groups about that. And they could formally pray with you. My greatest hope is that this community won't be filled with churchgoers. But be filled with those that are saved by grace. Worshippers that know what God has done for them. So let's make this our prayer today.
So Father, we come before you this afternoon. When I hear the language, I'm trying my best to make it about God. I'm trying to grow closer to God. I'm trying to do things for God. I'm trying to be better for God. I automatically know what they're saying. They want to be right with God, so they're going to try. Some people tell me, I'm not going to come to church until I get like my act together. And that's the greatest tragedy in the 21st century in the American church. People think that they have to clean their act before they come to church. We've lost this message that sinners are saved by grace. So today, as we close, I want you to remember, you can come to God as you are, broken, messed up, sinful. That's what Jesus said. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. If you're lost, you have no clue. Your life is a mess internally, externally. Good. Jesus says, come as you are. For I have already done the work. Receive the gift of my love and my relationship and you'll be saved. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? Father, over 200 years, Jot Noon's song, Amazing Grace, has been sung all over the world. Those who confessed they were once blind, but now they see. Those who confessed that they were weak, but now they're strong in Christ. I pray today, those of us that need the gift of salvation and the gift of forgiveness, I pray that we would receive it freely. Those of us who know this grace would worship you with their lives. But we pray, God, that this song would be sung from the heart our eternity for all those you've saved so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore all God's people pray amen God bless you go in peace Uh, happy Sunday. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things, and it's so good to see you guys on this Sunday afternoon. Before we get started, we have some community news we're going to share with everybody. We're going to start off with tithes and offering. For all of our members here, we just want to remind and encourage you to continue to keep God at the center of everything, including your finances. You can tithe through any of the electronic means listed above. And if you are one of our visitors today, if this is your first time or if you're still exploring faith here at 180 Church, you guys are our guests here. There's no obligation to give or anything while you're here. But if you do feel led to make a donation or an offering, you're more than welcome to do so. Our next announcement is about how we can connect through the week. Uh, one of the ways is through the Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram at 180BRG. And this is where we put just a small snippet of the Bible just to get God's Word into our lives on a nice, consistent basis, whether we start our day with it, whether it's something we do in the afternoon to help power through the day, or whether it's something we use to quiet ourselves at the end of the day and just thank God for the, another day in His presence. This is a great resource where we can come together. Again, it's at 180BRG on Instagram. And there are a number of other different ways where we can connect online. Uh, sticking with Instagram, we have our church Instagram page at 180 Church. And we also have the 180 Fellowship page at 180 Fellowship. All of that on Instagram, as I said. 
You can find us on uh, Facebook at 180 Church. You can also check out Dr. Sammy's Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. And you can check out our YouTube page where we put all of our Sunday sermons and we always have our Sunday sermons live stream. And you can find that at uh, 180 Church NYC, again, on YouTube. So check us out on all of these different ways. Uh, our next announcement is how we can connect with one another during the week. And that's what we do when uh, we come together for a small group. We meet together to just go a little bit deeper into the Sunday sermon to see where it's really affecting us, where God is addressing us, where he's fathering us and growing us. And if you're beginning your journey in Christ, or maybe you're still fumbling your way, I don't want to say fumbling, but kind of we're all fumbling our way through it sometimes, where you're working through your relationship with Christ and what that means to you, this is a great place to come to talk about that, to see who Christ is and to see who he wants to be in your life. Whether you're beginning your journey, whether you've been a long time person on that journey, small groups is a great place to come. If nothing else, just speaking from personal experience this week, when the week is crazy, it's sometimes great to be with those brothers and sisters that can bring you some peace and calm and some perspective on what God is doing in your life. We have a number of different groups that meet throughout the week. Some of them are in person, some of them are online. If you're interested in joining one, speak to me or any of the greeters in the 180 shirts, sweatshirts, etc., and we will get you plugged into one. Next, we have a number of resources that are available at the 180 Cafe. We have a number of different devotionals that we've been reading through. Many of us have been going through these every day just to get a little bit of God's word and some perspective in our lives. It's a great thing to do in the morning to really set the tone for your day and start it with Christ. You can check any of them out at the uh, 180 Cafe, and all of these are available on a uh, honor system, so you can pick it up today, and you can Venmo or PayPal a payment later on, and you can also check out Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, which is there available as well. Uh, we also have at the 180 Cafe uh, some 180 merch, so even though it's starting to get a little bit warmer out, we're still going to have those cold days where a nice sweatshirt is a great thing to have, and you can pick up one of those. Uh, you can pick up hoodies, sweatshirts, long sleeve shirts, and t-shirts, all at the 180 Cafe, so you can represent a little bit of 180 swag with you. And again, those are all available on the Honor System, so you can pick it up today, maybe wear it to your Super Bowl party this afternoon, and then just pay us later on. Our next announcement is about uh, the ways that we can come together and pray in community. And again, just speaking from experience this week, sometimes it's not enough when we pray just by ourselves. But this is why Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I am there with them, where we come together to pray in community together. Whether it's in person, face to face, or whether it's through email, it's powerful. Prayer is very powerful in surviving some of the things that go on, either in our lives or in the lives of our friends and our family, our dear loved ones, and even sometimes just the people we meet on the street. You can send a prayer request at prayer at 180church.tv, and the prayer team will keep it in confidence, but they will lift it up so that you're not going through it alone, but again, you're going through it in community so that the community is there praying together for you and with you. And when God moves in your life, you can always send a, pra a praise request as well to just thank God and so that we can all celebrate for what God is doing. We also have the House of Prayer, which meets here at 1145 in the theater, where we can just come and decompress from the week, where we can just ready ourselves, empty ourselves from all of the stress, all of the shenanigans, and just be ready to receive God's word for Sunday and lift up the Sunday service. So again, that's at 1145 right here at the theater. And our last announcement is about all the different ways that we can serve here at 180 Church. We're always looking for volunteers, whether you're a barista and you'd love to help us out with a little bit of coffee in the morning at the 180 Cafe, whether you want to help out with the numerous many children that are here at 180 Church. We're always looking for people to help with our Sunday school. And we're also looking for techies, people who are knowledgeable in all things technology that I can't figure out. I must be getting old because I used to understand it all. But we are looking for those people to help us build our web presence online. And lastly, we're always looking for greeters, that first face, that friendly presence to say, welcome to 180 Church. We're so glad to see you here today. And so many people are here because someone has been a greeter that made them feel welcome. So we're always looking for people to pass that on. Those are all of our announcements today. If I missed anything, you could always check out our website at 180church.tv.